Hello and welcome to the C3 Sunderland podcast. We are so glad that you're here. We're believing that you will be filled with faith and encouraged by hope as you tune into this message today. Well, um, we are starting a brand new series um, this morning. As you can see, um, a series um, of messages over four weeks, um, which all revolve around the theme of prepare him room. And this morning, um, I'm bringing a message which is entitled, A Trust Worth Making Room For. So, A Trust Worth Making Room For. Now, I want to encourage you, because I know that many of you here are note takers, um, and you love making notes. I really want to encourage you to take notes. Here's the reason why. Because when we take notes, it allows God to minister to you, not just in this moment, but during the week as well. Now, however you do that, whether you do it on your phone, um, whether you have a book for that, um, I just want to encourage you to do that. I know for myself, in terms of my own personal growth in church, um, there was a season where I saw the acceleration of God at work in my life just because I made the decision, do you know what, I'm going to take notes and then I'm going to revisit that during the week. If you have them with you, um, I would like to encourage you right now um, Please turn to your Bibles um, to Matthew 1. It should not surprise you since we are doing a whole series um, on sort of like Advent reflections that we are looking at the Christmas narrative. And um, I'm going to be reading from the NLT, other versions are available, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, just through to 25. Here's what the Bible says. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Amazing. Growing up, Christmas in the Harding household had a lot of moving parts. Just in case you're not aware, um, I am one of four boys. Um, So our house was six people. Now, I know for many people in the room, that's quite a small family. Um, But um, in British families, that's big. So like one of four... Our house was very busy at Christmas time. And so Christmas meant 
for me growing up, Christmas was a time of lots of things going on. And I remember one of the hallmarks of our Christmas season was the annual Harding Country Drive, by which I mean we basically drove around the entire country picking up Christmas presents. So we lived in Scotland, so we would drive the two hours, just over two hours, to the border, at which point we would stop at Carlisle to see one aunt and uncle and pick up a series of presents and then drop off a series of presents. Then we would go to Cockermouth, which is in the Lake District, where we would stay another night, dropping off some presents, picking some presents up. And then we would drive down to Skipton. Skipton, North Yorkshire, anyone? No? Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Ben's there, right? Awesome. Uh, where we would see my grandparents, where we would drop some presents off, pick some other presents up. Um, and then from there, we would then go to Newport in Shropshire, where we'd visit the other set of grandparents, drop some presents off, pick some other presents up, short skip towards Solihull, which is near Birmingham, where again, we would stay with aunt and uncle, and we would drop some presents off, pick some presents up. Can you see there's a kind of like a, a repeated thing here? And then we would drive from Birmingham to London, um, where we would stay with my other aunt and uncle, um, and we would drop some presents off, pick some ones up. The only place we didn't go to um, was, um, America, because apparently, unlike, unlike in the movie where Herbie can swim in water, apparently, mum and dad said, our car could not do that. What a useless car. So they would, they would, actually, they would literally airmail presents towards us. So like my aunt was like always super uber prepared, and they'd, like, they'd arrive sometime in like November and we'd see like the package arrive and we'd see the airmail sticker and then it would disappear. Because apparently um, Santa was sending it early. For those of you who don't believe in Santa, what is wrong with you? And then we would make the monumental drive all the way back up to Scotland. Normally we would stop at Skipton again because it was, uh, according to my parents, roughly halfway. <laughs> It was not halfway. Are we nearly there yet? Um, and this was the pattern every single year. And then when we got home, my parents were the kinds of parents who felt that, you know, like six people in a house, that was just a start for Christmas. Like the only way that Christmas can be improved is by adding more people into it. Um, and so we lived in a, a, a small um, bungalow style um, sort of like cottage I would describe it as in Scotland very common because obviously it's very windy and all the rest of it so build one story high and it only had three bedrooms so we had a, we had a bedroom for mum and dad we had a bedroom for me and my twin brother and then uh, the youngest and the eldest of uh, my brothers also shared a bedroom as well um, and so what would always happen every single year at least one set of the grandparents would arrive and then normally, my parents were very much of the mindset that they would ask around church, is there anyone who is going to be alone for Christmas? At which point they would say, you should come to ours for Christmas. So I don't know if you ever had this thing. There was kind of like an adult's table, and then there was kind of like a, a child's table. Um, so like 
but they were the same height. But so what my parents generally did was like, let's get the child's table and just extend that out a bit. Then they would have the table, you know, the extended the extendable table, and they would pull the extendable table out as far as it could extend. And we would just all basically squash around. Now, I remember really vividly, like sometimes, this is when beanbags were like really cool. Like I remember um, we basically didn't have enough chairs. Yeah, beanbag, beanbags are always cool. Okay, baby, it's okay. It's fine. I'm not dissing beanbags. I love beanbags. Um, uh, around the kind of like the kids got like section of the table, we would just put all the beanbags around and then we would all just like sit there. But of course, because the beanbags weren't tall enough, we would, we would kind of sit like this <laughs> on the beanbags, like eating, <laughs> eating our food. Um, and like, so it was really regular for us to have, like Christmas was often at least a 10 person, 12 person affair every single Christmas. And as I'm sure you can understand, like that meant that we had to make room for these new guests. And so my experience of Christmas growing up is that often myself and my twin brother would give up our room or mum and dad would give up their room or my other brothers would give up their room so that we could give that room to other people. Now, our cottage had um, like a proper kind of like coal fire. So we would like actually fight over who could sleep in the living room near the coal fire. So, and we would get like our sleeping bags out and like turn it into kind of like some kind of like crazy Christmas sleepover vibes. But, you know, like, and I was thinking about this like recently about like making room. And I was like, like, we did not have a large house. But every single year, we would make room for other people to come and stay. And of course, like, was that inconvenient? Yes. Because here's the thing, right? When you, when you go to sleep in the living room, you have to make sure you wake up before the rest of the house does. Because there's, there's nothing worse than basically, essentially, being in your pyjamas and all of your relatives just, like, rocking up in the living room, you know, because they've come for breakfast. You want to get up at least a good hour before any of those people are around. Get in the shower first, because remember, there's limited hot water. We had, like, immer we had like immersion tank. And, and once the immersion tank is empty, that's it. There's no more hot water for the day. Um, and so you're like, you get to the shower first, get changed, all the rest of this kind of stuff. It was like hugely inconvenient. But would I change it? Absolutely not. Like Christmas in our house was crazy and mad. And it was people like just stepping over the people. But it was also a time of genuine family and joy and celebration. And as I was thinking about this, it made me think about like this year. And I suppose kind of like where I want to, when I want to, the question I want to ask and pose for us is like, how this Christmas, how are you going to make room for Jesus? You see, I think our life is a lot like that scenario that I've just talked about. Like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. But I think that when we make room, even though it's challenging, even though it's inconvenient, that when we make room, there's something wonderful and special that takes place. 
And what I find fascinating about the Christmas narrative is that it's just full of these really ordinary, real people who are oft, who, by the way, are facing circumstances far beyond them. And I'm sure, like far beyond a lot of what we go through. I don't know about you, but I have never experienced a moment in my life whereby an angel has appeared at the side of my bed and has said, Kat is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to marry her and you need to... I was like, okay. Like, that's not happened. I haven't had an angel turn up and say to me, I mean, yeah, um, like, Ian, you need to leave everything behind Take your family and move to X. But what I see in the Christmas narrative is that though these people often are facing circumstances that they don't understand, they don't fully get it, but they are full of joy and of celebration because they make room for Jesus. There's Mary, obviously. There's Joseph. There's the wise men, there's the shepherds. And then interestingly, there are people who don't make room for Jesus. You know, people like Herod. And the fascinating thing that I find is that the other side of making that one decision to make room for Jesus, they become part of a story that echoes through eternity. They don't just live a temporal life. They don't just have a temporary impact. They become part of the eternal story that Jesus is writing for all of us. And this morning, I want to be really clear. that This ancient historical record, because I, I know when we say the Christmas story, we can be tempted to kind of like see it as just any story, but it's not. Like story, most stories are made up. This is a historical account of a real event that happened to real people. And what continues to excite me and hold my attention about all of this, it's not just the Christmassy vibes, though I love them. Like, who does not love, like, a bunch of, like, lights wrapped around a tree? Who'd have thought that that is what, like, like, you wrap a bunch of lights around a tree, you switch it on and you just go, ah. And your soul feels like a little bit lighter for no reason that makes any logical sense. It's not those warm hugs. Though I love a hug, guys. It's not just the snowman at Christmas. You know the tune? We're walking. No? Anyone? No. Cat says no. You know, like, and, or like watching the Gruffalo at Christmas. Can I hear an amen? Uh, those of you who, do, who have not seen the Gruffalo at Christmas, guys, you need to make it part of your Christmas viewing. Uh, it's just beautiful. It's not, you know, like those Hallmark Christmas movies <laughs> that just dominate our channels. It's not Home Alone, although that is a great movie. It's not Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie, guys. It is a Christmas movie. Moving on. Okay. It's, it's a movie set at Christmas time. Let's go, let's go with that. It's not 
the food. Though again, I love the food. Who loves the food at Christmas? Amen. Fantastic. Um, and it's not even the way, you know, like kids literally kind of like go slightly mad for an entire month. And they're so excited about like, like Santa, like turning up. It's more than that. What continues to excite me about Christmas, what continues to move me about Christmas, is that it speaks to something deeper. Something that once all of the decorations are put away, once all of the Hallmark movies have been wrapped up in a great big Christmas bow and sent off to Hallmark land for another year, and all the other stuff, it's the fact that when we make room for Jesus, our lives can be transformed. And the simple truth I want to communicate this morning is this. Jesus can be trusted with your life. And then when we choose to trust him fully, our lives are being transformed into something which is beyond what we can imagine or contemplate consider and that when we do have that moment you know like sometimes where we have moments where we have a reflective moment where we think oh, it feels like there's something slightly missing that that is actually a prompting from the Holy Spirit to make more room in your life for Jesus and this Christmas I want to encourage every single one of you make room for Jesus today because Jesus is someone worth making room for. We can make room for so many different things in our lives. And I think we do. But as we kind of come up towards Christmas, I want to encourage you. Yes, I know there's busyness. I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot of moving parts. Your Christmas may not look like the picture of my Christmas. My Christmas was mad full of lots of people, but it was full of lots of love and joy and laughter and all the rest of it. Your Christmas might be a little bit more tense than that, but I still think that Jesus wants to meet you in it. And I want to take us, I want to look at this story that I read right at the very beginning from Matthew's Gospel. And I want to focus on one particular individual from the Christmas narrative. I want to talk about the father of Jesus this morning. I want to talk about Joseph. And I want to look at this simple story and I want to pull out just two simple points in terms of what I think this story shows us about what happens when we make room to trust Jesus and to trust what God is saying. The first thing is this, trusting Jesus defeats fear. Let me say that again. Trusting Jesus defeats fear. Now, I want to do a bit of a thought experiment, so I want you to use your imaginations. I want you to imagine you're Joseph. So one day, your life makes perfect sense. You're engaged to be married. The two families have agreed to the match. The two families are excited about Mary and Joseph coming together. In Jewish culture, they were, the two families would have met a number of times before the engagement would have been announced. 
and it'll have been the two families talking together, talking about whether they felt this was a good match. So that the two families would have already known each other very, very well. And so by the time we get to this point in the story, they've already made this public announcement that Mary and Joseph are going to be married. They're not just engaged in, as it were, the Western sense of engaged, i.e., I've sort of said, yes, I'd like to marry you. They're essentially legally married at this point. The only way they can get out of it is if one of them does something terrible and awful. And then the law gives them the possibility for a divorce. Look at Joseph. At this point, he's a carpenter. He has a career. He has a job. He's known, the Bible says he was righteous. So he's a man of integrity. He's a man who knows and who goes to the temple. And he's a man who follows the voice of God. He is an upstanding Jewish young man. He is somebody who has a good reputation. He is honoring the family name. He is a direct descendant, as we see in Matthew's gospel before this moment. He is a direct descendant of King David. He is at a moment in his life where the prospects of his life look excellent. He's got everything to look forward to. But then the next day, his fiancée tells him she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's quite clear that Mary has that conversation with Joseph before this moment in the gospel. But here's the interesting thing. Now, as soon as she says, like, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now in Jewish culture, they would not, they did not believe in pregnant by the Holy Spirit, by the way. They believed in pregnancy in the normal way that pregnancy happens. In which case, as soon as this news becomes public, which Joseph is entitled to make it public, by the way, it's going to lead to finger pointing, it's going to lead to blame, it's going to lead to shame. And then his whole family would actually in this moment be pressuring him. You need to distance yourself from this girl as quickly as possible. I want you to imagine you're Joseph. What do you do? Do you follow the blame? Do you follow the shame? Do you join in the finger pointing? Oh, hello. Verse 19 tells us that he has in mind to break the engagement quietly. What I find fascinating about Joseph is that he faces a real moment of fear. You imagine being in a culture that is an honor-shame culture like the Jewish culture. He'd have been terrified terrified of the judgment of his family, terrified of the judgment of his community, probably terrified for Mary as much of, of Mary. But I love the fact that he has in mind to divorce her quietly, but he doesn't do it immediately. Because verse 20 says this, as he considered this, 
He considers. Consider means take time to think it through. He takes time to work out, is this the thing? And in that moment of him taking time, look at what the rest of verse 20 says. As he considered this, as he considered whether he should break the engagement quietly, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, appears to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, I love what the angel says. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He's not saying, don't be afraid because I'm here, which is what he says to Mary. He says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph faces a situation of unimaginable fear. Afraid for Mary. Afraid, no doubt, of the whispers and the rumours of others around him who maybe have already heard on the grapevine that Mary's pregnant. He's afraid of what his decisions will mean for his family. Maybe he's afraid of the pressure from his family. Should he give in to that pressure? He's afraid for what a divorce, no matter how discreet he's planning on making it, may mean for his own personal future. What I love is that in the midst of that, that emotional moment, those factors, the angel of the Lord comes up and the angel of the Lord speaks clearly and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in that moment, the angel of God turns up, a messenger of God says, Trust what I am up to, because what your wife has said is true. And I love verse 24. Look at this. Look what happens. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. I don't know about you. I'm perhaps a little bit more skeptical. When I wake up from dreams like that, I would like to hope that I would wake up immediately and do exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded. But I know that sometimes I can allow fear in. And I don't want you to miss how extraordinary his response is. He has a dream. And he decides that instead of listening to the voice of his fears, he will listen to the voice of God and act on it. It would have been so easy for him to just dismiss this. It was a dream. It was that cheese I ate last night. But he doesn't. He decides to make room and trust the voice of his father in heaven. And he gets drawn into a story which becomes history. He's drawn into the miracle, not to watch on the sidelines, but to be part of the miracle. And in doing so, here's the amazing thing, he defeats his fear. I want to say something important about fear this morning. Because I think when we read this passage, we can, be, we can easily think that his fears suddenly go away. I don't know if you realize this, but they don't. 
there are still going to be people who are going to whisper and rumor behind his back. He's still probably going to have the pressure of his family saying, are you sure? Do you want to do this? I'm not sure this is a good idea. He's, if, he tells, if he tells a priest, unlikely, but if he did, that priest definitely going to say, stone her, get rid of her. If anything, Joseph actually has new fears now as well. Like, how are people going to treat Mary? What are people going to do to Mary? Can he protect Mary? Can he protect his family? But I think the important thing that this demonstrates is the fact that defeating our fears does not necessarily mean that our fears immediately go away. The circumstances that have actually created our fears didn't go away here. But here's the thing, and here's the thing I want you to catch, that when we choose to trust Jesus instead of our fears, the power that they have in that moment is defeated. When we talk about our fears being defeated, I think we have a vision and an idea that that means those fears go away. I don't think that's what we see through the Bible. What we see through the Bible is, is that a greater spirit comes upon us. It is the power on the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is separate to the spirit of fear because the Holy Spirit is greater than the spirit of fear. And in this moment, what I see in this story is, is I see that this man decides to make room for Jesus and he decides to trust him instead. And in stepping into trusting the voice of heaven, he defeats the spirit of fear that is in him and he lives out of a different spirit. He lives from the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, that is what victory over fear looks like. Not just that the fear, the the circumstances that are creating the fear go away, but that you carry a different anointing. You carry a different spirit. And I know in here there will be people right now who there is a spirit of fear over you in some particular area in your life. And I feel like Jesus is saying to you, Jesus is saying to you through this story, be like Joseph. Decide to trust and to listen to the voice of the angel of the Lord. I sensed as I was reading this that Jesus was saying, do not be afraid to take. And then you put in whatever that is for you. Do not be afraid to take this step that I've asked you, I've called you to, to go into. Do not be afraid to decide to live my way rather than the world's way. Do not be afraid to say no to certain things. For right now, because you know that God actually is going to give you something greater because you are determining, I am not going to manufacture this and make this my way. I am going to follow your ways. In our lives, every single way, temptation will always turn up to you like this. It will promise you the thing that God has already said is yours, but it will open up an avenue, a shortcut. And it will say, take the shortcut. Take the short route. You know the short route is wrong. You know it's not the best for you, but it'll get you there quicker. And the temptation and the lie in that moment is, is go the quick route. Go the world's route. I want to say to you right now, that that is a lie. The only way, the only route that helps you defeat is that one. 
The only route that helps you defeat fear is when we follow the route of the voice of God. When we choose, Jesus, I make room. And that means, I know we're not in the new year yet, but I'm just going to speak into it a little bit. That means that 2024, there are some things you need to look over right now and you need to ask yourself, am I taking the short route? And if you know you are, let me tell you, this is, God is saying to you, trust me with my way. My way is better. Second thing, trusting Jesus means we encounter his saving love. Gosh. Verse 21 says this. This is the angel speaking. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. And then again in just verse 25, we read this simple and short, staggering sentence. And Joseph named him Jesus. You see, I think in this encounter with the angel, Joseph catches a glimpse of the heart of God for the people of God. Because the angel says to him, look, this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. This child's not an ordinary child. And you're to name him Jesus. Now in Jewish culture, naming was really important. And the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua which means God saves. It is a proclamation. It is a declaration into the life of Joseph. That all of those prophecies that were made about the coming of a Messiah in this moment, I don't think Joseph fully understands what that means, but he knows that his son is special. And he knows that his son is part of God's holy plan to save people. And the staggering thing for me here is not just that Joseph captures a glimpse of the heart of God for the people of God and it's never ending. His love which never gives up never abandons, always engages, always rescues. I feel this sense as I read this that what Matthew is showing us is that Joseph decides he's going to be that kind of father himself. In this moment, it's like, as he says, Joseph named him Jesus. It's like he's saying, God, I say yes to your plans. God, I say yes to the way that you see things. And I say yes to the plan that you have for the son that you will ask me to raise. And it's like Joseph says, yes, I want to be that kind of father. And then he goes on to give himself selflessly to raise a child who biologically is not his. 
And he's going to pour all of the wisdom that he has, all of the knowledge that he has of the scriptures into his son, Jesus. He's going to commit to training this child in the way that this child should go. He's going to mature him. He's going to teach him how to be a carpenter. He's going to teach him the trade that his father taught him. And he's going to teach his son to be a carpenter like he was. He's going to train him in the Hebrew Scriptures. He's going to take him to temple. He's going to model a life of prayer and devotion to God. Because we're told that Joseph was a righteous man. This means a man who goes to temple. It means a man who has devoted his life to prayer and to seeking after God. Do you not think that Joseph would have modeled that to his own son? Yeah, at some point, as it were, like Joseph would have woken up to the fact that my son knows far more of the scriptures than I do. They're so alive in him in a way which I don't understand. But even in that moment, he says, but I'm still his father. I don't fully understand right now. I don't know where his wisdom comes from. I don't know how he knows all these things. I don't know the exact plan that God has for him, but I'm going to continue to be his father. I'm going to continue to train him. I'm going to continue to model to him what it means to be a father. And I am going to lean into the plan that the angel of the Lord gave to me before he was born that said he would be named Jesus and he would save his people from their sins. As Joseph raised his son, he chose, I'm going to trust the plan. Now, church theologians and historians, we don't know a lot about Joseph. We, we, we think that he died some point in Jesus' late teens, early 20s. Joseph's no longer there, but for every single second of Jesus' life, there's a clear sense in which Joseph was there. Admittedly, he did lose him um, uh, in the temple, you know, when he was like about 12. But to be fair, so did Mary, you know, like casually losing the son of God, as you do. But I make a joke about that, but don't we lose the son of God? We get busy with our stuff. We make room for other things. And we too, in a similar way, lose the Son of God. The Son of God is exactly where you left him. And he's in the temple. And he's speaking into your life. And this morning as we wrap up right now. That whatever you've come in with this morning feel like God is trying to say to you, look, I have a plan. And it's a loving plan. And it rescues you wherever you are right now. You don't have to wait to get your stuff together. You don't have to wait to feel worthy of the love of Jesus. One of the things that the Christmas story basically states is the fact that we can't save ourselves. And so God sent his son down to earth to become a man so he could save humankind. You and me. And that our brokenness, the stuff that's messed up on the inside of us, it has a solution. There is one who can rescue us from it. There is one who can rescue us through it. There is one who can mature us through it. There is one who can give us a different spirit. And his name is Jesus. And he speaks a loving plan over my life, over your life. 
And he says, my plan is that you would learn to dwell in the love of my son Jesus so that you would know him deeper, greater, and that love would fill you so much on the inside that it would overflow into every single aspect and area of your world. It would break down every single lie. It would take away the um, the desire for every single temptation of the flesh would be swallowed in the wholeness of his love, that your brokenness would find his wholeness and that you would realize that the lie that has been in your mind that has said, you will never be whole, you will never get past this thing, you will never go beyond your fear, you will never go beyond your anxiety, you will never go beyond your depression, that in that moment in a stable, in a stable, as the love of God descended into the person of a human being by the power of the Holy Spirit, a light came out and it broke through the darkness. As John's gospel says, there has been a light and it's broken through the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness doesn't understand the love of Jesus Christ. The darkness doesn't understand because it thinks it's the most powerful thing in the room. That is what Satan will tell you. He will say, I am the most powerful. My lie will keep you in prison forever. But what Jesus says is, no, my light has come. The light and the life of Christ has come. And I want to encourage you that wherever you've got lost, where it feels like life has been uprooted, where your foundation has been shaken, or even right now, like Joseph in that moment, where life made no natural sense. This love is available to you right now in this place. And it's free of charge. Because love is a choice, not a charge. And trusting Jesus and making room for him allows us to experience that love for ourselves. And so once again, as we see Joseph's willingness to trust for Jesus, trust Jesus, and make room for him. He also opens the doors so that others will encounter that love. One father's decision to say yes and make room opens the door so that you and I sitting here can say yes to Jesus Christ too. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you'd like to know more, visit our website at c3sunderland.church or follow us on Instagram at c3sunderland. We'll see you next time.